week's guest is Kristen La Rochelle. Currently living in the New England area, Kristen got her start in the industry in her early teen years, working every job possible from busser to manager. Eventually, Kristen landed a job at a wine bar in Chicago that sparked her interest in wine and spirits. This interest led to Kristen's current role where she manages a portfolio of fine wine and craft spirits and regularly leads educational events for consumers and trade partners alike. In her spare time, Kristen is the producer and host of a wine and spirits podcast called The Booze Hustle. Make sure you check out her show on all podcast platforms or check our show notes for the links for The Booze Hustle. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip. This is Dan. What is going on? Uh, just hanging out, being awesome as always, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> another day in paradise as always. I like to try to believe yeah. and have things go with you. Oh, you know, still just fighting with the city of Cambridge yeah. Fire Department. Yeah. Hey, well, you know, like, I tell you this: that that fucking bar I'm opening is never going to go up in flames. You're going to be able to surround it with kerosene and light it on fire, and it's going to be just fine. <laughs> oh, that's good because there's a lot of Cambridge that does burn down. Actually, that's true. Well, the problem for me is that if if it ends up being a shitty ride with this bar, then I'm not going to be able to burn it down for insurance <laughs> money. So that's annoying. Well, I'll order. But hopefully by the end of the month, the Argyle Arms will be reopened in Cambridge. So you're going to want to check that out. Stay tuned to the Argyle Arms 2023 on Instagram to check out when exactly we're opening. Uh, Or you could just call our local fire inspector and he'll tell you. (laughs) In Waterloo, it's Babylon Sisters at Babylon Sisters Bar on Instagram. Lots of fun stuff going on there always. So follow our Instagram there and downtown Kitchener sugar run speakeasy. That's at sugar run bar on Instagram. We have a burlesque show coming up at the last Friday of the this month. We're in May, correct? Yeah, correct. we're still in May. Yep. The last Friday of May, we have a burlesque show with Sassy Ray, who has been wow. a guest on this show. And so you can uh, go back in the archives to check that out and you want to come check out the show as well. I think that's all all the self-promotion I need to be doing right now. If you want to be a guest on the show, reach out. It's at the Industry Podcast on Instagram or info at the Industry Podcast dot club. You should subscribe, rate, review the show. That helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you like the podcast artwork, make sure you check out the work of Zach Hanna, who does the lovely design work for us. You can find him at zachhanna.co, and that's Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H dot C-O. Okay, enough about us. Let's talk about Kristen LaRochelle joining us from Connecticut or New England, whatever you prefer. She is the host of the Booze Hustle podcast, uh, which you should all be checking out. I just listened to an episode, and it was fantastic. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but we're also going to talk about your career, Kristen. How are you doing? I'm good, Kev. How are you? I'm okay. I'm a little hungover. I mentioned that to you before we started recording, <laughs> but I'm drinking a twisted tea right now, so yeah. hopefully that helps. Oh, uh, yeah. it's uh, fancier. I'm just drinking yeah. sparkling water like a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I got a question for you, Kip. I got a question yeah. for you before you ask me questions. What are you going to talk about? When you don't have the bar to open in these fights with the city, <laughs> like, how are question. you going to open the show? <laughs> the intros are going to be much shorter. 
just promo and now yeah. the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how it used to be. And then I started the uh, crazy idea of opening another bar. But there's always more shit on the horizon to complain about. I'm sure I'll find something. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, you will. Yeah, you will. I got a list. You can use mine. Okay, great. Okay, so Kristen, let's talk a little bit about you and how you got into the industry to begin with. I know you've had a long career in the industry. So let's talk about that first. And then we'll talk about the podcast at the end. Give us a little uh, history of Kristen and Show. Dang, how long is this podcast? Because I have to give you a bridge. Well, I mean, I've been in the industry, wine and spirits industry for a very long time. I started in the restaurant industry uh, when I was 13. I like to say I was raised by wolves. So mm-hmm. I grew up needing money really quickly and a way to get out of my house. So <laughs> I started working in restaurants very young. And I like to joke that I've done every single job there is to do in a restaurant, except I used to say except clean toilets, but then as a restaurant manager, I cleaned toilets. So that just yeah, yeah, doesn't really course. work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I started on the East Coast um, serving, bartending, bartended my way through Chicago, got the stupid idea to go into management. Like, wow, you know, you get that dumb idea where you're like, mm-hmm. I could do it better. And then you're like, shit. Working twice as much, make half the money. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst fucking job in the industry is the, the uh, management jobs. Yeah, Ugh, it's and then the whole time the, you're just like, why did I do this? I have keys. I don't want keys. I don't want responsibility. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, yeah, I was in Chicago for eleven years. I worked in some pretty amazing places, uh, but then you know I got older and wanted to see people. Again, so um, I got into wine and spirits distribution, mm-hmm. and I've been doing that for about eleven years, and now I work. As an educator and in sales and in my spare time, I host a industry podcast. Right, we're talking about. Uh-huh. So you have also done the WSET courses, and when did you first discover like this love for wine and spirits and wanting to educate yourself about them? Yeah, so I really didn't have a love for wine. I was bartending in the early aughts and the bonkers time to be a bartender where you were like making drinks called Alabama slammer and motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah, So there wasn't much of a a education happening. Um, And it wasn't until I started working at a wine bar in Chicago called Volo, which is on Roscoe street. Check it out. If you're in Chicago, I had this wine director named Shad with an S and if I had had any other type of wine like teacher, I would have been not into it because there's a level of pretension, right? That mm-hmm. comes along with a lot of people in the wine industry. And Shad was just this totally chill dude with long hair and he'd wear like a Led Zeppelin t-shirt under his button down. And he's like, oh, let's talk about Zweigelt today. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, cool. And he was the right type of educator for me. And I'm a nerd. So I realized that the more I knew, the more I could never know everything. And I loved that. It was like the chase of never knowing as much about anything, like, cause there's always something to learn. So that really kind of sparked my interest. And I didn't really get back into the serious education piece until I got into distribution. You know, believe it or not, people won't buy things for you if you don't know what you're talking about. Some things. (laughs) You know what's funny about that, though? Not to interrupt you, but I have a new wine rep who's coming by my businesses and he doesn't know shit. He was in he was like a food rep for like Mm -hmm. a, a food delivery service. And and I don't know, like, uh, so he came in to do a tasting the other day, and my chef was like, I know that guy. He used to sell me, like, lettuce, right? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. nice segue. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's in wine now. He quit that food stuff, and now he's doing wine, and he admittedly doesn't know shit about it. And he's like, mm-hmm. so my chef was asking me, he's like, do you, does that bother you? Like, don't you, wouldn't you prefer for your rep to know stuff? And I'm like, you know what? At this point, like, I've tried enough wine. I know what's going to work. I really don't need 
that person to know that much. Like I, I you're so cynical. (laughs) (laughs) You're, but you're like a grizzled seasoned industry person at this point. Like you're just like, I know calling me old. We're the same age, bro. I'm sure of it. No. Did you guys ever watch parks and recreation? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. There's a character called Ron Swanson and he's like the, the really surly carpenter masculine man. And he has this one scene where he goes to a hardware store and this kid comes up to him and goes, Oh, sir, can I help you find something? And he looks at the kid and goes, I know more than you. (laughs) That's that's (laughs) like, you know, with your, with your wine rubs. Yeah. A little. Yeah. But But, I mean, times are tough though. You know? And there, there are like, there's certainly many reps who come in and know a fuck load more than I do. And some of them have been on this show. And like, so it, it is always good to have somebody who does, who can teach you stuff at the same time. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. I'm never done learning. I like to learn things, but then you also have the annoying reps who just won't shut the fuck up about a wine. I'm like, I'm never going to remember any of what you're telling me right now. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so yeah. what's your, what's your style when you're selling? So those reps that you're talking about that won't shut up, those are the get lost in the sauce type people. Mm. Like they get so lost in the sauce of their own bullshit that they don't realize that the listener is not listening anymore. So I feel like the best way to talk about anything is to just have a conversation like you're talking to your friend about something and really simplify it Mm. to here's why you should have it. Like, here's why it applies to you and your establishment. Give you a reason to want it first and then follow up with the story. Because I feel like people, they come at you with the story so hard. And if you're a, a bar manager or an owner and you've heard, you've heard 9,000 different brands pitched to you, mm-hmm. if somebody comes to you directly, like quick to the point, here's something that I think is going to work well for your program. Here's why. And then they're peaked. They're interested. And right. then they want to know why. And then you could sell, then you can tell them the fucking story, the, you know, later when they're already interested and invested in what you're saying. There's definitely like two types of people. There's people who are like, you know, they wax poetic about it and they're talking about fucking bricks. Meanwhile, the guy's like, I've got 700 things to do. If this guy does not shut up, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're going to lose them. Well, and the part of it, like, and you would know this as well as anyone, is like selling wine, you do kind of need the story. Like that sells the wine more Mm -hmm. than anything else because your your average guest who comes in doesn't know shit about wine anyway, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, it's red, it's white. But if you have a cool story to tell them about the winery or the winemaker, then Mm -hmm. that really helps move it. Yeah. And the story can't be, it's been in a barrel for 10 months. That's not the story. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. cares. (laughs) It's, it's, you have to have like something interesting about it because there are 9,000 different spirits to choose from. There's 9,000 different, more than 9,000. Are you kidding me? Wines to choose from. It's like, how is this applicable to me and what's interesting about it? And I think people are really looking for authenticity now. Mm -hmm. They don't want to buy some mass produced bullshit that everybody else has. They want to have something that even if it's mass produced, you're, you're making me feel like it's something that's got a great story that, you know, that I can um, identify with for sure. Yeah. Do you find that more and more restaurants and bars are trending towards like having consignment style wines, like from smaller vineyards than going for like the big, I don't know, like a Robert Mondavi or whatever. So pre COVID. Yes. Right. But I think that it got harder and harder at, during COVID and after to rely on smaller producers when there wasn't a guarantee of product and people can't hand sell something. So mm-hmm. they're going to go towards something people might already know. Mm-hmm. And now that we're kind of coming out of that a bit, I think you have to have a mix. This is something I say to Psalms all the time in my education. It's cool if you want to be the cool guy who has the esoteric, interesting orange wines on your list. 
but you have to sell them. You right. have to be there to sell them. And if you want a day off, which never happens, yeah. but if you want a day off, you have to be able to also have things on the list that will make you money. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have a big, big name. You know, you don't have to buy trash, but like having some big names do the work for you and make the GP for you yeah. is great. And then it gives you the time and frees up your budget to buy cool stuff that you're passionate about. I think you have to do both things. Yeah, I kind of learned that the hard way at Babylon because I was very, very focused on having like a super unique list where it was either like we focus on female winemakers as much as we can. um, And then also like we'd like to have either just unusual grapes that people haven't are not familiar with or Mm -hmm. a grape that's like grown in a region that you wouldn't expect it to be grown in. Right. So I was trying to do that forever. And then still people I'm like fighting against like, oh, I have a Cali cab. Like, I'm just, I'm like, I don't want it on the list. I just like, people yeah. can get a Cali cab anywhere else in the city, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had a Cali cab for like the last year on the list. People constantly. like what they like. <laughs> no, I know. They like what they like. And this is the other thing. I've, I'm going to tell you something. And I, I don't know how I feel about telling you this, but I'm going to tell you this anyway, because. Don't worry, I've, we're not recording or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I've reconciled the feeling of being uncool that I used to have. When I joined the 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 employer that I have now, all of my boutique, I worked at a fine wine boutique distributor, and they, they were saying shit to me like, "You're going to work on the Death Star? What the fuck?" You know. <laughs> and I, at first, I was like, "Ugh," but I've I've reconciled it in a few different ways. I had a boss; he was awesome, who used to say shit to me like, "You know, your mouth does not connect to your wallet." Like the right. things that will make you money are not the things that you like always. Mm-hmm. And I've realized that people like what they like. And it's okay. Like you Mm -hmm. can appeal to all of those people. You don't have to be the coolest person always. And I had a, um, a a boutique wine shop owner. He's a good friend of mine. We used to work together. He shits on my employer all the time on Instagram, like in memes. And every time he posts one, if I like it or I laugh at it, he'll go, Oh, sorry. And I sent him a message back the other day. And I said, you know what, dude, I checked my retirement account the other day. And I'm realized that I'm going to be able to do stuff for my kids that I never had growing up. Right. So that's okay. Yeah, you're fine. You'll be fine. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's good, too, that you've already sort of done the small boutique thing as well, right? Like, maybe that makes it a little easier for you to work for, like, a bigger conglomerate. Like, it's all, you know, like... As you go along, it, it it does become like you're still doing the same job, but you do need to make the money, right? Like sure. at the end of the day. So uh, when you're selling spirits, like I'm always interested in this because I feel like wine is very easy to sell to bar owners and restaurant owners because most people like wine and they're interested mm-hmm. in like trying cool stuff. With spirits, it's a little different because I'm more hyper-focused on a spirit of being like, will I be able to sell this? Which is kind of counterproductive because really... The beauty of buying a spirit is you only have to buy one bottle, right? Like, mm-hmm. whereas you, with the wine, you're going to buy at least six. So it, I should be more focused on, am I going to sell that wine? But to me, I'm like, oh, that's delicious. Let's go. But with a <laughs> spirit, spirit, I'm kind of like, eh, I won't be able to move that here. No one's going to buy it. So what's your trick for selling spirits? Yeah, I think it's uh, there's a couple different things. I think that you have to be able to come with a, a fully formed plan for it. If you're, if you're like, for example, if you're a rep or something and you're pitching a spirit to someone, if it's something that is um, a higher price point and you don't, it's not going to be a well, you're not going to, you're not providing them a cocktail recipe. 
like you have to have a plan for that. Like what mm-hmm. it what are they going to use it for? Like and giving the owner of the establishment the the vision to like this is not just going to collect dust on your back bar. Here's what you can use it for and like really be proactive about it. I actually love selling spirits. Like as you can see behind me, I've mm. I, I collect a lot of things. I don't drink as many of them as I used to, but I, I don't know. I think that with selling spirits, the story is more important because there's mm-hmm. only there's only a number of ways to distill a spirit and what they're made from. And the the making of them is not super different. You know, it's it's just like the story of the actual brand itself. That's that's mm-hmm. what you really have to lean into. Like I think people really want to support things that they feel a, a type of connection to, especially with like agave spirits. You know, there's so much agave spirits now. And there's a big difference between celebrity brand agave spirits and then real agave spirits and just being able to like speak to the finer points of both and -hmm. understand that there's a place for both of them but maybe we use the celebrity tequila on the back bar that will just that's your big name thing that sells itself and then you put the cool interesting artisanal agave spirits in your cocktail program Mm -hmm. yeah and and you can use that stuff on the rail as well like if as but i know what you mean like the celebrity brands are going to sell themselves people see them on the back bar they're going to order them right Okay, let's talk a little bit about the booze hustle. What did you what like what prompted you to start a podcast? Why did you decide you want to do it? Why did you want to do one about the service industry? And uh, yeah, let's start there. Okay, so during COVID, I have a very lovely friend. She's an actress. Um, she's been in a lot of things on Netflix. She's also one of the stars of Star Trek: Lower Decks, and she's a musician. And uh, her name is Tawny Newsom. She has a really popular podcast called Yo Is This Racist, which is crazy and not industry related at all. But during the uh, pandemic, they started, they broke away from a podcast network that they were on and they just started to create a lot of their own original content. And I was at home, obviously, like many people trying to find some hobbies. And we partnered up for a podcast series at the time called Drink Culture. And it was just really just her and I talking shit, to be honest with you. We worked together in bars in Chicago for years. Um, and those episodes were great. Rest in peace, drink culture, RIP. But I wanted to continue with it because I had a lot of fun doing it. And I realized like, you know, this is my wheelhouse. And then she's, you know, an actress and a musician. And she's like, I don't have time for this. Right. Um, so I decided to go on my own. I was lucky enough to inherit a really amazing producer at the time who makes several very big podcasts, uh, mainstream podcasts. And he, you know, was nice enough to do a f- couple seasons with me. And uh, the podcast is it's, it's great. It's short, informal interviews uh, where I talk to people in and around the wine industry. So not necessarily the restaurant industry or hospitality, but like winemakers, distillers, I've had actors, comedians, you know, anyone who wants to talk about booze, essentially. But yeah, it's been really great. And this is my first season producing it 100% myself, which (laughs) is terrifying. Audio engineering is a new skill of mine, apparently. But yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, I don't know how to do any of that shit. That's why Dan's here. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering why Dan was so quiet. (laughs) (laughs) One of us has a big mouth and the other one knows how to do shit. (laughs) Wow, okay. All right. I wish I had another me. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you go? So you've been producing it by yourself for the last season. And what season are we on now? We're on season three. Great. Congratulations. That's uh, how, how many episodes? I think I'm at not a lot. You guys are like way up there. You're like 150 or something, right? I think I'm only less than 40, maybe 35. 
and I should probably know this. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Uh, when people are going to go check your podcast out after this, so they'll uh, they'll be able yeah. to check out yeah. what number you're on. And so, how much time do you take off between recording of seasons? So the reason I'm producing it myself now uh, is because we were taking off a really long time before um, because we were just doing them seasonally, like every six months. Mm-hmm. But I was recording episodes, and then we were releasing some of those episodes like months later. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't listen to an episode in fucking January where I was talking about how hot it is outside. So I I, I couldn't do it. I'm not disciplined enough to not just talk randomly about random shit. So like Mm. I had to make sure it was timely. And unfortunately, my producer, he had way too much on his plate. So um, now I'm trying to do them weekly, which, you know, doesn't always happen. It's a lot of work to do everything by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Do it over the weekend. Nice. Plus having a full-time job. Yeah. And kids. <laughs> and kids, yeah. yeah. Well, nobody might bust in those. here at any time, just, yeah. just a warning <laughs> to you. <laughs> okay, so you're on your third season, and like, okay, you have less episodes than us, but you have a pretty impressive guest list. We were talking about this before we started recording. How do you book the Do you do all the booking yourself? I do. Wow. So how did, like, tell me how you go about getting, like, John Malkovich on your podcast. Okay, well, that one, I feel like it would be cheating if it made it sound like I got John Malkovich to be on my podcast. Uh, my friend who I was talking about for Tawny, she's an actress, mm-hmm. and she did a, a Netflix show called Space Force that had oh, Steve yeah. Carell and John Malkovich. And, you know, me being shameless, I was like, um, you know, you have to get Malkovich to be on my podcast. And he actually has a winery in the south of France. I heard and that, these yeah. are bonkers wines, like bonker pinot noir cabernet blends like mm. and um it, yeah and and so i i asked her very nicely and he was he's just the most random cool dude who was just like yeah okay i'll do a podcast <laughs> yeah, that's amazing but, yeah have you tried cool. any of his wines no but oh. but tawny has they're very expensive right yeah mm-hmm. but they had, that does sound like a weird blend so i'm just very interested in how it turned out <laughs> i mean he likes them, and I think, to be totally honest, if he doesn't sell the bottle, he's not that bummed. I think yeah. he makes them for himself and to lower his overhead of wine consumption. I don't know. <laughs> but I know they were trying to get them distributed here. It's, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be a tough sell. I don't know. Right. No, 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 I don't want to talk shit about Malk here. So. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so I listened to your Dale DeGroff one, which was super illuminating. That guy obviously likes to talk. So... Yeah. What you like for your interview style? I don't know. For me, when we're doing our show, it's very much guest to guest. Like some guests, it's like pulling teeth to try and get some information out of them, and you can tell that they're very nervous about being on a show or whatever. And then other guests, it's just like I barely have to say a word, and you just let them go. Yeah, I know which bucket I fall into. (laughs) That's good. These are the easy ones, though. That's true. I'm trying to make you look good. Um, no, I, I I feel like it's... Uh, wait, what was the question? <laughs> uh, like, how do you find it guest to guest about, like, um, did you ever struggle to draw them out or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I find that if I just act like a dum-dum, people tend to, like, chill out a little bit, you know? Right. Um, my style is I, 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 I very much... Uh, disarm people with humor. I think that's that's just the way that I go. I um I think in the last couple of years, I don't know what happened. I think it's getting older and just having a lot less shit to give about stuff. But I lost my nervous 
nervousness gene, whatever that thing is when you get up in front of people and you're nervous, I don't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I do so much education and I'm up in front of groups of people so often in the market, like, you know, at at consumer events and dinners. And, you know, I'm the person that will come in and that they'll have come in to do the, the whiskey seminar or a wine tasting or a wine dinner. I think it just, I've lost it. So now when I talk to people, I think me not being nervous talking to them makes them not nervous talking to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe yeah, I think, it. no, I think that makes sense. It's the same, like I've had to do a shit ton of public speaking in my life as well. And you just, once you've done it enough, it's like, it doesn't even bother you anymore. It's yeah. so weird. Like it just, I totally agree with it. It just kind of falls away. And mm-hmm. I, how would you describe your podcast in general? Would you describe it like formal or more conversational? Like tell our listeners why they should check it out. Yeah. So this is, I actually said this to the interview that came out today. I interviewed a winemaker from Napa, Sally Johnson Bloom, who's incredible. And I was explaining to her in the beginning, I was like, this isn't guild sum, right? We're not going to like put people to sleep for an hour and a half where we talk about bricks. Right. And she's like, oh, well, talking about bricks is easy for me. And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, we'll talk about some bricks. But um, but no, I always just say like, I just like to know, like the whole concept of the booze hustle in general is that everyone in our industry, like we all have the most crazy, weird, diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating because every one of us has not ever just had one job. We're all right. hustlers. We've all done this and that and this and that to get where we are today. And I really love the 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 story arc that brings us all to where we are in our career. Just because you know, you talk to distillers where you know that started out in in horticulture and gardening, and you talk to people. Um, I, ta- I interviewed a guy. He's the uh, director of operations for Cornerstone Restaurant Group, um, which is the Michael Jordan's restaurant chain. And he was a he was a ballet dancer. And yeah. I just, I find it fascinating that like somehow we all ended up in these spots, but like we all have completely wild backgrounds. It's not like I was on the, you know, Harvard law trajectory from high school, or I was, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. You know, it's, it's, we're all just wild. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just and do you, feel, do you feel like that because like, whether it's distillers or winemakers or people who are in the service industry, which is more what our show concentrates on. Do you find that that's just because of the nature of the profession in a way that you almost, almost everybody I know who does, who's still doing say service industries type jobs for mm-hmm. at, like our age in our age group is they fell into it and did not expect us to be their career going like for their life. And now they're just yep. still doing it. So maybe that's why it's like, they, in a way, we all have more fascinating backstories because this is never where we meant to end up. Like you said, not on the law school or med school trajectory. Yeah, I think it's that we all have ADHD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's possible. Mm. I think it's just you know you have like the dreamers and the thinkers and the people who can't sit still and the people that want to feel like they're in control of their own destiny. And there's a real piece of that that exists in industry people. It's I make my day, I make my week, how I want it to look. Nobody is dictating it for me. Even if you have a boss that owns the bar, even if you have a you know a front of house manager that's a dick, you still feel like in control of your own destiny when you mm-hmm. show up to work because you're engaging with a different group of people every day. You're getting to control the energy in the room. There's a lot of power to that, I think. And I think the people that are drawn to that are really dynamic, interesting, some of the best work ethic people. I mean, I would hire anyone from the restaurant industry tomorrow 
to work in, in as a distributor just because the work ethic is unmatched. Mm-hmm. Like every person I ever hired as a distributor manager from a restaurant background just crushed it. They were just, you know, there was no expectation of like I clock in, I clock out. It's that shit doesn't exist, you know. No. And I think there's like sort of a backlash from people who do our sort of jobs for a living against like structure and repetitiveness. Like, like nobody, nobody wants to, like you say, punch that clock, go sit in an office and do the same thing. Like our industry does not attract that type of person. Uh, Now the flip side of that is we tend to, we we get a lot of flakes in our industry as a result. What? Right? <laughs> what do you mean? And, and uh, we were talking about this before we started recording, but like the challenges of, I I I always say joke with Dan that like he's getting an eye opening look into like what my life is trying to organize people to work at my bars when we're trying to book guests on the fucking show because it's trying to how many of them flake out us at the last second. It's and, like yeah. hurting hurting cats. It's a hundred hurting cats. Yeah, and not, I mean. <laughs> There's a really I, I, an interview I did last week with Jill Coxon. I don't know if you Jill Coxon. She's a badass. Um, she's like a hospitality queen. Um, she has uh, four, I think, concepts in the states um, that are really incredible beverage programs. And we talked about this at length. So definitely listen to that episode. But we talked mm-hmm. about how I think a lot of younger industry folks don't realize the opportunity that they have sometimes and they squander it, you know, especially like because it's not a job that comes with like a here's what you do. Here's a uniform. I mean, it's very like you show up, you can wear what you want sometimes depending on where you work. There's not like a formalized depending on where you work. I mean, we're not talking about like Olive Garden here, but we're talking about like in general, you have a framework that you have to follow, but there's a lot of flexibility within that. And I think that freedom is good for some people and bad for others. And it does attract a more transient person who's figuring out what they want to do and they want to just make some quick cash. And it's hard at the outset to look at that the people in an interview and be like, are you a transient person who's telling me what I want to hear to get this job? Or are you somebody who is a little wacky and fun, but like would crush it every night in this place. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's hard and you take chances on people and oftentimes it, uh, you know, doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, It is like, it's one of the reasons that I like, you know, how there's like a work shortage for people in the service industry since COVID. Yeah. A lot of people went and found other jobs. I was, and a lot of people in my like in my line of work and in the ownership side, we're panicking about this. I'm like, just give it time. They're coming back because mm-hmm. people who are attracted to do like the real pros in the service industry, they don't, they're not going to last at those other fucking jobs. It's too yep. much, it's too much structure. Yep. It's too much repetitiveness and they will be back. Like I remember when I was first got in the industry, people would always leave and I was like, I'm going to teacher's college. And I'm like, well, that's going to work out. Like, <laughs> but there's always that job that they're going to right now. I find it's uh, everybody wants to like, they leave the service industry. I'm going to be a real estate agent. And then they oh. find out that that's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> that's the new Amway. No, I, I feel like, uh, <laughs> no, you're right though. But I, I also feel like it kind of thinned out the superfluous people mm-hmm. who didn't want to be there. And you got, you had the people that stayed were the people that wanted to be there, you know, like the people that were invested in the business and making it work and hospitality in general. And they don't know, nor do they want to do anything else but that, you know, I went to school for journalism, so I I was going to be a writer. That mm-hmm. was when I was bartending and, and managing restaurants. I was like, well, I'm just going to be a writer one day. So none of this matters. Uh, you know, turns out that didn't happen. But I figured out you could make money doing other things in the area I already knew a lot about, which is great. And that's, you know, how we all end up where we end up. But 
That's yeah, a skill no, set I, that translates to your podcast, at least. Well, there's that, at least. Yeah. <laughs> one, day, one day, I will make as much money as my job. One day. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How have you found it with getting advertisers on, on your podcast? Because we've, we've had some advertising on ours, but it's been a bit of a struggle because mm-hmm. it's a niche podcast. It doesn't, our reach is never going to be massive. Like, we're not mm-hmm. going to be doing, like, what ESPN podcast numbers would do, right? So, like, have you had a struggle with that? I know you do have ads in your show. We've listened to it, so... Yeah. So a couple things. One, I think the reason that I try very hard to make my podcast listenable for anyone who's not in our industry is because I'd like there to be an aspect of, oh, this is just a fun conversation like Mark Marin, you know, like mm-hmm. where this is just two people talking about things that I find interesting. And we can, we sometimes will delve off into a philosophical concept or, uh, you know, someone's life story that's really interesting. And I feel like that general perspective will help keep more people who are not necessarily in our industry engaged and appeal to a broader group like that. That's my desires. I I work in the wine and spirits industry, but I can't listen to wine and spirits podcasts. Like don't Mm. hate on me. Like, please, like people give me so much shit for that, but I, I can't, I'm just like, if I have insomnia, I just have to put one of those on (laughs) instantly asleep because you know, they're the, the nerds are going to nerd and I'm a nerd, but like, I'm not that kind of nerd. And so the nerds are going to nerd and they're going to listen to those niche podcasts and be really super into it, regardless of whether it's entertaining or not. But like, I'm trying to not just talk to them. I'm trying to talk to them and everybody else who might just want something fun to listen to in their car. Mm-hmm. It might be about an interest, some somebody on it that they might like or whatever. As far as advertising go, I mean, I think booze in general is going to be always a little bit hard to get people like the name of my podcast is the booze yeah. hustle. So like, I'm already kind of having a bunch of people that not want to, but surprisingly the advertisers that do it's, it's surprising to me that the mm-hmm. ones that are on there, but you know, they're all just trying to, I think they cast their net really wide and they try to just make money on whatever they can make money on. I think yeah. the podcasting frontier is still so very new. And for a while there, it was exploding with too many. And there were too many people with a fucking microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping it's simplifying again. Yeah, you got to figure because it does. It is a commitment and it's a fair amount of work, right? So like you got to figure some of these ones that like a million sprouted out, especially over the uh, pandemic, right? People were like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm not working. I may as well start a podcast. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's what, I think that's what we did. <laughs> that's, uh, that's why we're all here gentlemen yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah you figure that some of those are going to cut back just because people aren't committed and don't want to do the work after a while because it, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like an easy thing to do you get a microphone you talk right <laughs> oh my if i had a nickel can i just tell you this really quick because this mm-hmm. is this is industry related but if i had a nickel for every time somebody said to me oh cool a podcast i should do that or also when i tell like when people hear that i work in the wine and spirits industry all the time people go what a fun job maybe i should do that yeah. <laughs> like oh, negating so... the fact that the last like 25 years of my life yeah. i've been doing this like oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. It's, it's so insulting right like it's just like oh you could anybody could do that it's yeah. the same with it's akin to like and actually this is relates to what you're doing is like people will come in and see me doing a wine tasting at the bar and they're like whoa don't you have the most fun job in the world oh i'm like God. fuck you <laughs> It's like, your job is just so fun all the time, eh? Like, yeah, that's all I do is sit here and try wine (laughs) 24-7. I'm going to one-up you, Kip. I'm not a one-upper, but I'm going to one-up you here. Um, I do a lot of events where, like, I'll do a high-end wine tasting. And for some reason, when a woman is behind a table, and I'm not making this about women-men, but I will say, when a woman's behind the table pouring the wines, 
nine times out of 10, the assumption is I'm just like a paid agency lady that's there just to pour wine, which yeah. is fine because we, I do, I hire agencies all the time to show up and pour wine for things. Like the model at a car show. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but when I start to talk about the wine, they don't immediately go, oh, this person represents the winery. They just go, mm. oh, wow, you memorized a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I hate you. I know. Just negating all the work you put into it, your <laughs> decades of like training and yeah. studying and and yep. working the job. Yeah. It I was know. on an like, index card. I memorized it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like I do have a wine tasting tomorrow, but it'll be after waiting around for a guy to install a dishwasher for 14 nice. hours. And then like, you know, like the, I do find that the tastings are a beautiful little reward at the sure. end of a usually pretty annoying and boring week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Kristen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Everybody should check out the Booze Hustle. Where can they find it? Everywhere. Anywhere Everywhere. you listen to podcasts. You just go outside. It hits you in the face. Yeah, it's right there. It's right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much. This was super fun. You're a great interview and uh, you're uh, we really like the podcast. It's awesome. Thanks. Uh, So keep 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 it on with that. Yeah. Oh, I will. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks.